Good morning. Today we celebrate the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the opening prayer. O God, who manifests your almighty power above all by pardoning and showing mercy, bestow, we pray, your grace abundantly upon us and make those hastening to attain your promises heirs to the treasure of heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Old Testament from the book of Amos, 6th chapter, 1st verse, and the 4th through the 7th verse. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying upon beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches, they eat lambs taken from the flock and calves from the stall. Improvising to the music of the harp like David, they devise their own accompaniment. They drink wine from bowls, anoint themselves with the best oils. Yet they are not made ill by the collapse of Joseph. Therefore, now they shall be the first to go into exile, and their wanton revelry shall be done away with. The Word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul. Blessed he who keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets captives free. Bless the Lord, my soul. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the just. The Lord protects strangers. Praise the Lord, my soul. The fatherless and the widow he sustains, but the way of the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, through all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, my soul. A reading from the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 8th chapter, 11th through the 18th verse. But you, man of God, pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. They hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you before God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who gave testimony under Pontius Pilate for the noble confession to keep the commandment without stain or reproach of the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ that the blessed and only ruler will make manifest at the proper time the King of kings, the Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no human being has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Hallelujah verse. Though our Lord Jesus Christ was rich, he became poor so that by his poverty he might become rich. Hallelujah. The gospel is taken from St. Luke, 16th chapter, 19 to the 31st verse. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. 
and lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of your finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord.
if you're like me and many of my friends, you look at the world today and you become nervous and uneasy because it seems that the very thing that is so important for human beings to be with each other is truthful and caring and supportive. Instead of seeing those things manifested, at least in the news, all we hear about is conflict, division, separation. One person's lie they are saying is true, and the other person is saying, no, it's not, and it's back and forth and back and forth. So it seems to me that there's never been a time when the message of the gospel is more needed, and yet there seems to be a number of people more than I feel comfortable with or feel good about, and that is so many people are leaving, at least I know, the Catholic Church. And they're saying, it, it's, I don't know why, but I, I, I just don't find anything there for me anymore. I don't feel anything supporting me. I feel things are being asked of me that I don't want to do and maybe don't understand. So one of the things that I've been doing, as you're well aware, I've said this many times, I now preach from the Old Testament, as all priests do, along with the New Testament reading and the gospel, and I sometimes are, I'm very excited to do that, and the stories in the Old Testament are so valuable in understanding exactly what redemption means and what Jesus came to do that was so radical. But even in the readings today, I feel something that's there that I think bothers people and keeps them away if it's what's preached. And that is, this God of ours in the Old Testament is not happy with human nature. He thinks it's a mess. And the mess that we're in is the mess that will always be the tension in a good human being trying to be who God calls him to be. And one is that we're there for other people. That's the main message of the gospel. God dwells in you so that through you, he can minister to his people. He's not asking you to be what they need. He's asking you to to have something toward them to feel something toward them. It's a part of us that is the most beautiful part of us. It's often represented by the heart, and that is compassion and empathy, to feel with our brothers and sisters the pain that they're in. But not, and this is so important, but not to feel the obligation that what they need is your responsibility and your responsibility only. And I'm afraid that comes across so much in the Old Testament that it's so easy to preach on it because it has such a, a, a fearful impact. And if you'll notice news stories that are the ones that are most engaging with people is the ones about things going in the wrong direction. Life is awful. And people listen to that and want to know why, what, what's going on, whose fault is it? And they blame somebody. Well, the problem with the Old Testament is you see often God using language and stories that really do underscore that he is not happy, as I said. And the first reading we've just listened to is one of those. It's describing what I think is often the way we are when we're very young and have just come into an awareness of 
who we are and we're free away from all rules and regulations and we get very, very self-centered in terms of comfort. We love great food. <laughs> we love great parties. We love music. We love wine and scotch and bourbon and tequila. <laughs> and we do everything for ourselves. And when God points that out, which is just nothing other than our lower nature. It's who we are when we first come into the world. It's something we have to grow out of, but you have to be in it before you know you have to grow out of it. And so you begin to feel this kind of self-centeredness. And then as you evolve more, I'd say it doesn't happen until your 30s, basically. You begin to feel the emptiness of that. And the emptiness of that is what God is trying to talk to when he talked to the people in this first reading from when the Amos, the prophet, was talking. He's saying, look, this is not going to feed your, your soul and who you really are. But rather than go into all that, they just say, if you continue to do this, if you feel no empathy about things that are collapsing all around you, then you're going to be kicked out of this thing. You're going to be in... You're going to be lost and, and rejected, and you're going to be empty and condemned. That's what it seemed to feel that it was saying. And then you look at the gospel, and there's a really strong image of what I think sometimes is the image that God, that we think religion is supposed to be, and that is, um, you know, if we have a good life and everything works, then that's not good. <laughs> But if we have a bad life and everything's bad, then we're going to be saved or we're going to reach the, the, where we need to be. Now think about that for a minute. It's a too much emphasis on us, on our ego and what we do. The thing that God wants more than anything, anything else, is for us to be transformed, remade a new person. That's so clear in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament we see this, this now this story. We had one story about how selfish we are when we're having a good time, so I guess religion's against good times. And now this one is a rich man who has everything he wants compared to a poor man who is not just poor but is, has this horrible life of a beggar and sores and it's a miserable life. And somehow the one who has the miserable life, is told, we are told, is, is favored by God, and the one who has the rich, full life is not favored by God. And it looks like, you know, God is not only against parties and having a good time, but he's against any kind of success that the world promises us. And that's just oversimplified, oversimplified. Because this whole story is about openness to realization of who you are, and when you see the part of you that is self-centered, self-focused, completely tied up with yourselves, meaning you're at a very low level of consciousness, there's a sense that you, you, you're, you're, there's something really wrong with you. You're bad, and God hates you and won't take care of you and won't do anything for you. And it seemed like throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, I'm irritated by you. You don't realize it. I'm trying to break through. I'm trying to get you to listen to me. The life you're choosing is ending up as destructive. So the only way God can work with people on a much lower level of consciousness is saying, look, if you're all about yourself, then I'll tell you what 
you're really worried about. I know you're worried about yourself. So I'm, I tell you, you stay in this self-centered role, you're going to have nothing. And it's depressing. <laughs> but here's what's so beautiful. This situation, which is so clearly in the Old Testament before a very important event called redemption, God doing something radically different. And it, it's that, that, that whole moment of Christ coming into the world changed the entire Old Testament in a sense. There's so many passages in the Old Testament that fit so beautifully who Jesus is and what Jesus came to bring. But he came to bring you a new creation. He's going to make you, awaken you to what God intended you to be, a compassionate, understanding, and caring person. And so that's what this, I think, this beautiful gospel or the second reading is about. It's about when, when you realize that you're here to pursue all these things, devotion, be patient, be loving, be gentle, you know. But the key, key thing in that second reading is, is you have to make the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses. So it's basically the question there is you need to come to a point where you're self-aware enough to know that you're going against your nature and doing that is leading you into destruction and you're open at least to see it for what it is and you hate it and you regret it and you don't like it. That is you're ready to make the noble confession. It's what draws somebody from a congregation to an altar call it's what calls people in the Catholic Church and communities that are heavy in the beautiful area of rituals. Baptism seems so, so crucial. In fact, for years and centuries, the Church said if you weren't baptized Catholic, you couldn't be saved. And that's oversimplified. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It means that unless people go through what baptism represents, they can't find life. Just think of it that way. God wants us to enjoy and engage in this life in the way he intended us to do it. And when we don't, there's a dark darkness to our life. I'm not, let's not focus on heaven and hell. That's there. and they're, they're real. But focus on when we're here, God wants us to be engaged in something that gives us life. And so how did Jesus do it? What, did, what is he asking us to make a noble confession in? What's interesting about this gospel also, because I'm thinking about how many times you read something that makes you feel guilty just by reading it. When um, Timothy says, look, hey, I charge you with keeping the commandments without stain or reproach. That means do everything right. There's nothing more devastating to a person who's struggling with selfishness to say, not only are you selfish, but if you don't stop being selfish, the result is I'll condemn you. Because you have to do it perfectly. It's called performance anxiety. Then it went back and read that sentence, and it doesn't say to keep the commandments without stain or reproach. It says keep the commandment without stain or reproach. What is the commandment that we're called to believe in, trust in? When Jesus looked at the law with its 613 rules, he said, and people say, what is this all about? And Jesus would say, it's about love. 
It's about empathy. It's about compassion for your brothers and sisters. And when you grow through your self-centeredness, when you see it for what it really can, what it does, and you see the dignity of who you are, then you'll start to change. And so what did Jesus have to do to save everybody? He came first and foremost to empower you, and that's one thing. Well, maybe not foremost, but one of the things, I want to empower you because when I ask you to do these things for me, to be there for other people, I'm not asking you to do that on your own, out of your own energy. I'm going to dwell inside of you. I'm going to live inside of you. And I'm going to give you this ability to do this kind of caring and compassion. And it doesn't mean fixing a problem. It means understanding it and feeling one with the person. That's what they need. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be understood and they need to face the fact that they're doing something to themselves. And the last thing they need is to be condemned and judged. So what does Jesus do? I forgive all of your sins. All the times you look back and say, I was so selfish, and he said, I overlooked that because I know inside of you there's this potential for doing something. So don't ever feel like I'm condemning you, judging you, demanding that you be perfect. And that's what religion sometimes comes across as. It's why you don't want to sit there when you already feel guilty about who you are, being told you are who you are, without much hope other than your will to make yourself better. The mind and the will is never going to change us into who God wants us to be. It's going to be our hearts. And if you're going to be a compassionate, understanding person, the only way to start that is to see through your selfishness and then to recognize you're loved, 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 and forgiven in spite of that. All he wants is for you to change and grow, and he'll help you do that. That's so different than being judged and condemned and set back, cut out, because we don't use our will enough and we don't use our mind enough to figure out this is logic. Don't do bad things because you will get bad results from God, and it's not true. God in the Old Testament pointed out why sin is so destructive. Why selfishness is a dead end. And the only way out of that is to stop judging yourself and others for what they're not and try to feel the pain and suffer it with each other because that's the transforming gift of God's grace to use his presence to be changed into a new person.
closing prayer. Father, we find always your preference for the poor. Sometimes we think that's about money. (laughs) But it's really about a disposition that we should have naturally of knowing that without you we are not able to do anything. It comes close to who you want us to be. The ego doesn't like to be dependent. The heart loves it. So please, God, bless us with an understanding of who we are and what we need and let us trust in you as we trust in ourselves. Both is essential for a new life. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to remind you that the program you just listened to is available on our website, pastorreflectionsinstitute.com, as well as on our podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and subscribe to Finding God in Ourselves. It's free to listen to anywhere, anytime. And the music in our program was composed and produced by Ryan Harner for this show. This ministry also needs your support, so make a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation on our website. Thank you so much for your listenership and your continued support. Without it, this program would not be possible.